Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Southside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Maliki, and the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. Good to be here as always. So this week's episode, Anthony released a, um, a feature on, was it Friday? Yeah, I think it was Friday morning. It went live Friday. Yeah. Um, about cloud right the public cloud kind of the battle in financial services you know you have kind of amazon leading the charge but also google google microsoft ibm and even oracle kind of all hanging around in the competition to try to gain market share uh within financial services uh it's certainly something that i would say if you're not in the public cloud or involved in the public cloud, you're at least looking at it, right? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, in financial I think, services. You know, I guess it's funny because when we used to do conferences, just you know, so I've been here I think for about eight years uh, at Waters, and eight years ago people were just like straight up, I'm not going on cloud. I'm not using cloud cloud technology. No, I'm not going to. You know, that's where we like our hard databases. Um, that changed so about four years ago certainly there was a tipping point where everybody's like okay SaaS, you know and the other as a service offering stuff like that became very popular cloud became you know private clouds became you know more um you know it was okay to to go down that road mm -hmm. and you weren't worried about the public perception now the next phase is public clouds and as more and more data becomes available as you know firms uh, analytics capabilities and um, uh, data storage uh, and their data needs become you know greater um, you're gonna want something like a public cloud for you know not there, there's certain some data that's still very private data very sensitive information that still won't go to these uh, firms but you know to help uh, run a business to help um, you know uh, to have backup and everything like that public is now becoming you know there are still plenty of people that don't use any of these uh aws google um, ibm uh, uh microsoft but for the most part everybody's is uh, most people have at least yeah. do it a little bit or they're using a third party provider that is using it so maybe they're not directly signing the contract with them but they're third party providers right I mean, yeah, my, my dad still has a flip phone and, you know, so is Andrew Locke, but the rest of America, you know, yeah. has iPhones or Samsung. So, yeah, I think, you know, safe to say that, you know, that trend is definitely picked up steam. So just to give you give a quick overview and, you know, jump in at any point. So AWS, they're the gorilla in the room, right? They they hold the biggest market share. Well, I, I, maybe just to set the stage just a little bit, you know, I went into this with the thinking of, is it just price? So if I'm going to choose one of these massive, there are dozens dozen cloud providers, and there I've gotten a couple others being like, why wasn't I included? It's like, <laughs> I apologize, you weren't included, but also you're kind of not AWS, you're not GCP, yeah. you're not you know IBM, you're not Microsoft Azure. So. You know, I I had to cut, have a cutoff here. Right. Even Oracle, I just kind of throw. I was going to say Oracle is <laughs> just kind of like, ah, here you go, because they could make a, a push uh, in the cloud space. But so, is it all just price, or what are the other reasons that somebody would choose cloud? Because price in this space is just being pushed down. AWS is constantly cutting its price, so it's got to be something else more. And then, you know, you start seeing some, you know, of our news stories that we've been written, you know, so-and-so has chosen to also use Google. Um, so-and-so has chosen to use IBM Cloud. So-and-so is using uh, Microsoft Azure. So I was like, okay, so it seems like 
there is a little bit more movement here with these other providers. Mm -hmm. AWS, so I spoke with uh, over two dozen uh, people for this story, some on the record, some off just, you know, just having conversation with. And almost everybody was using AWS in some way or another. Very few, there were, there were a couple that weren't using any sort of pu pu mm -hmm. uh, public cloud provider, but uh, for the ones that weren't, there was like maybe a couple that were like, I don't use AWS at all, but I do use IBM or you know somebody else. There was one person in the story um, who uh, didn't use AWS because of contractual reasons. They didn't they didn't like what was being signed contract. And I think we'll get to that in a mm -hmm. little bit later. But they were actually using their kind of just goofing around sandbox stuff that you can use. So mm -hmm. everybody's at least touched on. So I guess that kind of set the the stage for it. Yes, AWS. In the financial services, I didn't look at other sure. industries. I don't care about under other. But they're industries. the baseline. If you're involved in the public cloud, you have AWS. AWS. Then you might have IBM or Microsoft you, or whatever. Yeah, you might bifurcate. You might you know couple that up. But yes. So I guess that's kind of there's a, you, you know the, the the feature is fantastic and it touches on a lot of different I am areas. Fantastic. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, but uh, I think one of the biggest takeaways is that there's this two or three cloud model that is kind of popping up. It's no yeah. longer like you, you mentioned at the end, a Highlander situation. It's not just public-private cloud debate, which is still going on, and it's still certainly an issue. This this article is specifically focuses on not only public-private, but public and a couple of public uh, options. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess the first kind of uh, debate or devil's advocate that I'd like to bring up to you is I can understand the model of not wanting just one, right? Because if one goes down, you know, the lead of your story talks about the AWS. Uh, um, yeah, that outage that they had. Outage, that, yeah. and also the um, the Microsoft outage, correct? Microsoft sure went down right. for a little Which, bit. Yeah. You know, huge impacts. And if that's your the only game in town, then you're screwed. So, you know, a lot As of- As one uh, person I spoke with in the story said, yeah, we're just sitting around doing nothing because right. we run our whole customer relationship management system right. uh, on uh, the system. So I could 100% understand that. But on the flip side, right, what have we seen, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, consolidation. You don't want silos. You kind of want everything together. So mm -hmm. what is the solution or how can maybe firms, you know, is there a way to architect things? How can you make sure that you can have a couple different uh, cloud providers, but you're not making things kind of too messy for your for your firm? I think that the, the, there are two key pieces in the story to, to check out, and that would be around what David Gurley of Symphony said, CEO of Symphony, and um, he was basically saying that they are, so they use both AWS and Google. Um, they just uh, recently uh, decided to use Google. Google's also an investor with them. Um, so they architect their platform. They're a new startup, you know, they're relatively new um, in the space. So they have been architecting with the idea that we're going to be using uh, public cloud providers and we will create uh, the, the platforms and services that we create, we're gonna architect so that if we have to connect to multiple clouds, we can. If there is a failure in one, it can seamlessly roll over to the other. So firms, I think, have to start getting into that um, mindset. Rick Lane at TT, uh, CEO of, TT, of, of Trading Technologies, uh, similar thing. You know, Right now they just use AWS, but they are looking at Google um, and he envisions that they will be on Google uh, soon enough. Yeah. Now, that's an easy thing for David Gurley to do because Symphony's 
2014, 2013, or whatever. But yeah. for Firm, been around for a couple they of decades. They were around a little bit longer through well, Parasite sorry, and yeah, stuff with, like that before they became Symphony. Right, yeah. yeah, no, no, true, true, true. But for a firm that's, you know, a bank that's been around for 100 years or, you know, uh, an asset manager, how do they kind of get around that? Or is there not really a well, simple Well, let's fix think yet? about that. Banks are going to have silos anyway. And as much as they're going to talk about, we don't want to have it. True. It's, that's just, that's going to be the nature of sure. that beast for a long time. But any new things that they built, any new projects that they run have to be done. Even if they aren't using a public cloud right now, they have to be able to see that this is the way forward, that this is going to happen, whether or not you want to do it right now, mm -hmm. you got to be able to make that shift. So anything that a firm is doing right now, has to, they have to architect platforms with that idea in mind that we want to be multi-cloud available. Um, you know, maybe you're not going to use one of those big, you know, four or five um, cloud providers. Maybe you're going to use somebody else, or maybe it's just, you know, straight up private clouds, but that's probably not going to be the case either you have to be able to architect your systems with this in mind because this is the way forward even if you're not gonna do it right now mm -hmm. you got to know how to have outs i think is is what many people are sure. saying to me i've never architect systems so i don't know what the hell i'm talking about but this is what people have told me to that point this is something that stood out to me so she spoke to uh steve husk uh the cloud margin ceo right yeah and he talks about how one of their big points is that they don't want to be you know AWS comes up with something cool and that's nice, but they don't want to be tied just to AWS. They don't want to have all their eggs in one basket because yeah. if the market shifts, right, they want to yeah. be prepared. Is there though on the flip side, and I'm playing devil's advocate because yeah. it's more fun if I just agree with you and just, is there more? You should always just agree with me, but. <laughs> is there more, you know, I just, the, when I read that, the first thing I thought was you have two QBs, you don't have any QBs, right? You spread yourself too thin because you don't, you want to avoid sure. the market. You, the market moving, you know, I mean, I think you have I to have a cloud strategy, right? You have to have, this has to be something that really is laid out where you have to start thinking, where are we going to, where do I want this firm to be three years, five years, 10 years? How do I want my IT staff to think about technology and what are we going to build internally? What are we going to build externally? But listen, from what I can tell, Google, I went down to Google's offices here in New York on a, 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 a about eight, eight months ago, something like that, and sitting down and talking with them, they flatly admitted that yes, they that they kind of let AWS kind of jump out to the lead in this. Not that they let them, it's just that AWS jumped out to a huge lead and mm -hmm. that now they're playing a game of catch up. Google in the analytics space is going to make a hard push. They are releasing cool stuff left and right. Um, many people talk to me about um, their open source TensorFlow machine learning stuff and you know, people are talking about um, turning IBM Watson into a public kind of an offering. Mm -hmm. IBM is making a huge push in the analytics space right now. So there is, and specifically for financial services, again. So these companies are now starting to realize, you know, maybe in the capital markets, we let some of these, you know, Microsoft Azure, spe specifically because of their Outlook uh, offering, everything that they have there. We let them kind of get ahead well, there is room for us to make up ground with good targeted products for the financial services. And I think that that's why you're, you're really starting to see this movement where before, you know, GCP, you know, their sales presence wasn't as huge or their data center presence wasn't as huge as Microsoft and Amazon. Well, they're trying to change that now. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you're kind of starting to see this, this idea that, okay, we can go to the two cloud system. It wasn't ready a couple of years ago, maybe for but now it's uh, starting to become a more viable option. Yeah, if you had to, just from your conversations, 
and it you know kind of seems you kind of allude to this in the story would you say that google is kind of the the leader in the clubhouse to kind of climb up and maybe not necessarily overtake because it is such a big hurdle you know you you do a great um analogy at the end kind of talking about bloomberg and the terminal and stuff and how yeah. it's easy to, to lead from the it's easy to you know when lead from the front lead yeah. from the front um but do you see them as kind of being able to climb the ladder the quickest with kind of maybe IBM being the dark horse with the Watson potential for the public cloud? Is that how you see kind of things shaking out? This is purely my opinion. Yeah, but well, that's what this is. That's what we do this for. <laughs> well, first of all, Google, amongst the technologists that I've spoken with that, you know, I have an affinity for it in, in this space that really know the capital markets mm -hmm. technology space. They, you know, most of them said, no, we're looking at Google first. Google has clearly jumped in, you know, at Microsoft Azure, you know, people say it's like, well, okay, you're running your email system and stuff like that using, you know, Microsoft Azure, but are you really that cloud sophisticated if that's what you're doing or are you just kind of using your cloud for email and stuff right. like that? Um, from the analytics space, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times on this podcast and in our articles. You know, that's where the investment is going. How can I do deeper dive analytics for risk, for trading opportunities, for whatever it is? Um, they are, it seems to me, it sounds to me that they have the coolest tools that people want to start building a relationship with Google on. Um, IBM, you know, is, they seem to be kind of, they're, they're working in on the blockchain end of things and certainly on the analytics things. Um, and I heard her name brought up several times, but you know, it is a reporting bias. Maybe I just spoke to people yeah. that were, sure. yeah, you know, so, so, group. Yeah. so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but to me, I got the feeling that Google, uh, was, it was Amazon one Google moving into, even if from a revenue perspective, that's not the case from an actual, what do I want to use and what product mm -hmm. do I want to be associated with Amazon one, Google two, IBM three, Microsoft four. And then, you know, Oracle. <laughs> I keep on ripping on them. I feel bad. I shouldn't probably include them. It's because they were, they might be fine in other sectors. They, yeah. they, Oracle's a huge. Yeah, I mean, Oracle's still Oracle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Sam Allison said that, you know, that they are going to make major push in this and they want to take down AWS. That that's going to be a driving force for them is to take away AWS's lead. They just might not be looking at financial services right, right now. Let's talk quickly about, uh, you mentioned it. AWS and kind of some issues that folks have with their contracts in terms of, you know, they yeah. hold a lot of rights that basically they can shut you down whenever they want. And, um, talk about how maybe, especially for the smaller vendors, maybe you spoke to that don't have as much of the sway that, uh, you know, a bigger, well, it's going to be so much about writing your contracts, both with these cloud providers and with your third party providers is becoming so much more complex and really have to it's changing the way that you're writing your SLAs that you're agreeing you know doing these agreements excuse me um, for the AWS uses the or the FBI uses AWS do they have the same <laughs> you know kind of you know restrictions on you know AWS same gonna no, we're gonna no. shut you down right now um, but if you're a small um, data prior you small company or you know whatever it may be they're going to look to always have that. They AWS going to want to have that control because they have regulatory sure. things that they have to worry about. So, if you're smaller, you're going to be up against it with them. It sounded like a couple. Uh, this was brought up to me by uh, a couple firms. Um, 
whereas that some of the other cloud providers don't have that kind of language as built in. Um, but I think that that will be an interesting point. And then the other key thing, which I didn't touch on a ton on this article, but we do have a new perspective up to go along with this story, um, is the cybersecurity end of it. You know, who holds the responsibility on a hack, you know, data loss, you know, stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of questions that are going to have to be uh, really worked out around those concerns going forward. Yeah. I'm not sure if the industry is fully there yet, and that's why there's still a tentativeness toward using it and how much of my, you know, while you may be using AWS right now, you might only be using it for 10% of your operations, right. as opposed to some firms that are like, no, we're 70% in on AWS. Yeah. It might take a longer time for those kind of guys to get there because they need some of those uh, questions answered in greater detail. I think that's the biggest thing. I know, you know, I was I sat in on a panel up in Toronto for uh, for our Toronto uh, or Canada. What is the the financial Toronto financial information Toronto financial summit. information summit in the summer that we run with uh, the folks at IDM. And uh, there was a panel about the cloud and kind of one of the big points was we're not comfortable jumping in yet because a president hasn't been set yet in terms of what happens with a data breach, yeah. who takes responsibilities, the regulators haven't made it clear. So there's a lot of gray, fuzzy area. And when it comes to data and financial services, personal data, PII, you, that's why I think you see a lot of firms, yeah, we'll play in it, but we're going to keep it in this little nook in the corner. Yeah. I think, you know. It's going to happen, right? Eventually, over the next year or two years, something like this is going to happen where there's going to need, you know, they're going to need to put their foot down and say, this is how things are going to shake out. And then it'll be interesting to see where the tide goes from there, whether, you know, people will say, okay, we're comfortable with that. We're going to go all in. Or, you know, I don't think there's going to be a full pullback because the benefits are still too strong. Yeah. But uh be interesting to see there how. There also won't be, listen, I, I think that when the government doesn't really understand how something works, they can do sweeping change, stuff like that. But something like this, this is the way forward. The cloud, you know, the, these are going to keep on proliferating uh, the industry. So you just really need to start thinking about these questions now. And if if a vendor, if, if somebody can't answer them for you, then caution's the better part mm -hmm. of uh, that one. Real quick, you put up a story today about uh, some conversations around AI, you know, it being a job killer or a human augmenter uh, from the North American Trading and Architecture Summit that was last week. I feel like this is the 15th straight podcast we've talked about talked about AI. It's the most um, fun topic, though. I'm getting. I'm. I'm going to be honest. When you pitch this to me, it's a good story. It's very interesting. It's. It's good points are brought up. When I pitch this to you, I'm sorry. Who's the US editor? <laughs> well, about the podcast. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I'm the podcast producer. All right, creator, director, <laughs> you know, enough. executive producer. Fair enough. Uh, but when you talked about this, you know, a little bit in the back of my brain, I'm starting to get the feelings that I had towards blockchain are starting to feel towards AI. I'm kind of, okay. I wrote my opinion piece on this. I'm kind of getting sick of it. Here's what I think the new thing that we haven't talked about. The I new, new thing. The right. new, new thing. So read the story. It's an inter it's, it's a bunch of Very technologists from uh, hedge funds, and from a couple of hedge funds and from uh, City and, um, yeah. Buy it, side, all of Yeah, them. buy side, sell side. And just kind of just having this discussion about, you know, Will this benefit, you know, or are these going to start killing off jobs? Will AI kill off jobs? Like, you know, there's one person, you know, the, what the extreme um, uh, thing was that, you know, he said that he sees AI just the same way that, you know, tractors and technology has, you know, shrunk the farming community. So, too, um, is AI going to shrink the trader community? Mm -hmm. um, while others say, yes, you might not have the same job, but there will be jobs there. 
we've had discussion. It's it's great debate, um, great profile of Elon Musk in um, Vanity Fair. In Vanity Fair, um, on this on this subject, I think that the interesting is another. Th- you know, it's just more hypothetical. But who is going to oversee as AI takes on? greater and greater prominence. So automation has existed for a long time and has been taking away jobs. But it's not like every not like every single year where, you know, there's no one in the workforce anymore. You know, you find new jobs. But now we have cogn- uh, cognitive abilities in these machines, um, you know, that are where they're creating their own function, machine learning, where they're creating their own algorithm, where they're, this isn't happening yet, but once it's, once we're heading there, Whose responsibility will it be to oversee um, job loss and then job recreation or creating a universal income, uh, uh, whatever, fund or whatever? Is that going to be up to the government? Is that going to be up to uh, the, the, create, the, the creators of this? Do we create kind of a panel of Google, you know, Tesla, um, Microsoft, you know, everybody, IBM, all those guys? Who will be responsible for it? And I think that that's something that, you know, that they touch on a lot in Vanity Fair. And I think that's the interesting angle. Because right now in the near term, there's no reason to believe the doomsayers that we're all out of jobs here in the near future. I, you know, there's no reason to believe that. You might lose your job, but that doesn't mean that there aren't jobs. And I thought that uh, Henry Krabchenko uh, of Marshall Weiss made a good point in this piece that, there's a difference between a loss of jobs and a loss of skills. There will be jobs that exist out there. You may not love the job. Maybe you really always wanted to be a long-haul truck driver. That, that was your whole dream your whole life. Well, that job is going to go away. But can we get the skills that you need for something else? Well, I think it's the loss of the blue-collar jobs. That's what this mm-hmm. comes down to. It's that... And you know this has happened, you know before. Well, traders aren't wouldn't be True. considered blue collar, True. and they, they could be. You know we're seeing trading force shrink and shrink and shrink. Right. So where are they going into? Is it now you have to become a research analyst? Now you have to know how to code. Now you have to. I think journalists are going to be fine, but you're going to have to know how to code and in I'll, the future. And I'll also say this: consider who we have speaking and who we're talking to. Right. These are technologists. Absolutely. These are people that would love, whether they admit it or not, would love the fact that all the traders, oh, yeah. all the front office, front office, excuse what my that? language, D-bags that they hate would lose their jobs and that the power would go back to the nerds. Like, let's, I wonder let's though, call a spade a spade. I wonder, though, if that's actually the case because do you want more people become – these guys, are, these traders, you know, are incredibly smart and they already are coding everything like that on their own. Do you want them to become more and more of technologists? Does that put a threat to you? You know, it's like, do I want a flood of people coming into journalism that are really smart? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm, I got the lead, well, and I'm very I, good. I, this, but. this comes down to confidence, and I think these guys are in the position they are because they're confident. If you're confident, you say, well, the I'm trader's the— trader's in the position he's in because he's confident. I'm not sure the technologists uh, have that alpha male— well, I think to be a to be a, uh, these guys are C-level executive yes, technologists, yes, yes, so yes. you have to— They you're are right. very successful. You know, Okay, if you want to, if you want to, I'm not saying you're stereotyping, but if you're going to stereotype technologists, there's going to be more betas than alphas, right? I think mm-hmm. that would be fair to say, yes. right? And there's going to be more alpha traders. Yeah. But if you're a confident technologist, you're going to say, I want everyone to have to flood into technology because I'm so far ahead. I'm the AWS. I'm leading from the front mm-hmm. that they're all going to have to fall in line behind me and not just going to push me up. 
you know, if you're not a confident person, then you're going to say, well, shit, you know, all this competition's coming in and it's going to kind of be an avalanche and pile me down. So for these particular, you know, men and women that are kind of the top of their game, I think they're looking at it as, yeah, that's right. All these traders are going down and they're all going to sit under the big dog. All those times you called me a nerd, that's, I, you know, maybe that's a, a funny or a bit of hyperbole, but I think that's, there's a little bit of that angle here too. But I think that this is going to be one of the big conversations in society that we're going to have is who is going to oversee, you know, AI machine learning? Mm -hmm. You know, are we going to leave it to Elon Musk and Bill Gates and uh, Stephen Hawking who have expressed deep concerns about the proliferation of machine learning? Mm -hmm. um, or do we want government agencies to step in? God I knows, never trust the government. The government always screws stuff up. I mean, so. do you really want somebody in the Trump administration to have to oversee, <laughs> considering that, uh, was it Tillerson that said um, that? No, no. Yeah, AI, AI is, doesn't, no. it's not a big thing. years away, 60. years away. It's like, it exists right now. It's already, it, again, it's just going to be a difference of, it's it's not China that's stealing our jobs. It's not, you know, uh, legal immigrants coming in there stealing our jobs. Sure, there's you know, case we made, I'm sure that in a theoretical way, but what is going to replace jobs is automation. It has been happening mm -hmm. from the 1800s right, sure. all the way through, you know, Revolution. as machine learning proliferates, more and more jobs will be destroyed. But as is also been noted, as I noted in the story, more and more jobs are going to be created. Jobs, you know, if you entered into high school, uh, or grade school this year, uh, the jobs that are going to exist when you graduate in college, I can't dream those jobs up. I have no idea what those yeah. jobs are going to be, but there will be jobs. Right. That's I'm I'm a hopeful. I'm an optimist. There are for once in your I life, think, for once in your life, you're plenty of people think, let's grab our guns, let's move out to <laughs> Wyoming. Which also, I wouldn't mind that necessarily. Get yeah, in the always, bunker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of uh, society debates, debates on society, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, as we turn to some non-fintech topics, the biggest thing this week has been uh, the United debacle. Yeah. Um, if you've, in case you've been living under a rock, basically United overbooked a flight, which I just saw today that apparently they didn't even overbook the flight. I saw that. <laughs> um, they overbooked the flight. Sometimes you just want to go roadhouse. Yeah, you know? they've overbooked the flight. Uh, basically, you know, said, hey, we'll offer 800, we'll offer some credits. No one took it. Then they said, okay, we're going to select four passengers at random. They selected one gentleman who was a doctor who said, uh, no, I'm not getting out. He was already seated in his seat. So they called the authorities. I think it was, was it police officer or was it United Security staff? I saw they had guns on them, so I thought it was police officers. No, Either no. way. It didn't look like a traditional dressed police officer. Right. It looked like a security guard. Right. But. Either way, uh, they tried to move this gentleman, and he did not oh, want to move. Oh, they moved him. Well, he did not want to move at first, <laughs> so then they took it into their own hands and forced him out, dragged him out uh, in Bloody one of the up. most absurd visuals ever of him with his shirt kind of coming up above his yeah. belly button. I'm laughing. It's mean, but it's it terrible. was funny. It was a terrible situation. Um, you know, got a little bit bloodied, and uh, yeah, and then – you know, internet uproar against United, blah blah blah. So I have a um, a different take on this. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do you want to mention yours first? You want me to jump right in? Well, I mean, for me, I was just to me, I was like, I, it brings up the question of when do you actually own that seat? Because you sign, you know, when you go on, you understand that you can't get bumped and stuff like that, and it sucks. And that's why I take the train. I hate flying. You know, it's, I take. I'd rather do a ten-hour train trip down to North Carolina to visit my family. Rather than do an hour and a half long flight, you know, down to my down to uh, Raleigh. But what do you want to go with? First? Well, okay. Look, first of all, 
All airlines are the worst, right? I'm yes. not going to sit here and say the airlines are great. I'm not going to defend the airlines. Second of all, okay, it is really crappy if you get kicked off a flight because they overbooked it. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. You showed up on time. You did your part. You paid for your ticket. And all of a sudden, they're trying to kick you off. All that sucks, okay? But at the end of the day, if I'm sitting in my seat and they're telling me I have to go and I'm, you know, trying to fight them, argue with them, and then two security guards come <laughs> and say, you need to get off because we're not taking off unless you get off. I'm standing up and I'm walking off that plane. And I'll be honest, that guy, listen, he's going to sue the shit out of United, and he should, and he's going to get a ton of money, and good for him. You know, he kind of says to me, screw it, man. Let's yeah. just, now, now I'm kind of hoping for but it. But you know what, man? If I, I'm going to be honest. Like, people were freaking out, and the video was like, oh, my God, why are you treating him like that? If I'm sitting on the plane, I'm back like, man, get his ass off the plane. I'm trying to take off here. I'm I not think that that's the way the they should have done. They should have stood around and said, sir, you were randomly chosen. We have to do this at random. It's the only fair way. Um, and then you just get the plane to start looking right. at this guy and say, hey, buddy, get off the plane. Yeah. It's like, listen, we can't leave until you get off the plane. I, what I do is I stand up, I walk out, I go to the front, and I say, okay, how are you going to make this right for me? How much, how many miles, how many upgrades, what am I getting now for well, going forward? Because if I'm not mistaken, it was a flight from, like, Louisville to Chicago or vice versa. And, you know, if you had these four um, people that you had to, that you thought you had, they had to get onto a flight, apparently whether or not they had to actually get onto this one flight because they were worried about getting – a flight being canceled, so they had, but they had to get to their next destination for flight, whatever. If you're United, you were offering seats like for eight hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah. Why not just rent the car, throw throw your four workers and say drive from Louisville to Chicago. You'll get there in a couple hours. You'll be fine. I don't know. So that was a whole, all handle run. The CEO, even if you fully believe that your guy did exactly what he was right. supposed to do. That's one where you throw him under the bus and you go with the public wave of perception here because and you just because he had to walk it back anyway well, later on. And that comes back to the main thing, which has been said before. But at the end of the day, the airlines know they can treat us like cattle and it doesn't matter because and this is my favorite part for all these social justice warriors on Twitter. I will never fly United again. Yeah. Bullshit, and that includes everybody listening to this podcast that says, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna boycott United." This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna sign on to Kayak or Expedia or Skyscanner or whatever f cheap airline site you use. You're gonna type in your destination, and if that United flight comes up at the times you want, the cheapest flight, you're gonna click buy. You're not gonna pay fifty dollars more because you want to stand on your little social platform and say, "I'm not gonna go United because they treat." Because guess what? This could have been insert Delta, insert JetBlue, insert Ver. This could have been the any one, other airline. The one interesting thing that I was reading about is we'll see if this plays out. But um, because the guy that was kicked off, I'm not sure if he he was Asian. Of uh, I'm not sure if he was from Asia or right. American or yeah. just straight up American. Um, that's of Asian descent. But that United's business, a huge piece of their business, apparently uh, comes from Asia, specifically from China, mm -hmm. and people in China were freaking out about this and they were legitimately were boycotting and that in china i would believe that you would yeah, get uh, a couple billion people and <laughs> that can hurt your stock price a lot as we've seen a lot of people starting to say "Ooh, uh, united that's uh, worrisome to us that you've just alienated a very huge segment of your revenue base right uh we're gonna short your stock here a little bit i guess the biggest takeaway i have is yes airlines suck they're crappy they treat us like crap but at the end of the day if your number's called and you, they're not going to go unless you go, and there are security guards standing, you got to, you know, put your pride in your pocket, stand up, and get off the airplane. 
I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm inclined to agree with that. And uh, everybody, everybody handled this yeah. terribly bad. You know, and like I said, this guy, he's gonna get paid. You oh know, yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, let's not cry for him because he will make plenty of money and, and he'll be all right. Uh, real quick, you just mentioned something before we started the podcast that interesting. You know, both of us being SUNY grads. Yep. So it shows how incompetent I am when it comes to the news. Apparently now, uh, SUNY tuition is gonna be free. Uh, for, for certain, you know, certain uh, uh, attributes, yeah, yeah. Uh, we I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but you know, if if your household income is below a certain level, um, then you will be you can uh, go to a SUNY school uh, or a CUNY school, uh, City City of University of New, New York. Yeah, um, Dan and I both being from Plattsburgh State, uh, so you can do that. But the one thing that set me off. The New York Post had a uh, headline when this was announced. So right before they finalized it, they threw in a couple extra restrictions or whatever. I'm not sure you say, but New York Post ran its headline. No escape from New York. Cuomo. If you get free tuition, you can't leave. No, what they said is you, you have to stay leave. for four years. You graduate. You got to work in New York for four years. You can go somewhere else if you want. But then you got to pay the relatively, you know, the, the much cheaper compared to a private school uh, tuition. And it drove me insane. This idea, that, like, this is when, you know, the, the conservative side of me, you know, really comes out. But this whole idea that we're going to give you an education, all right? And that's great. All we are asking is that you spend four years here, give back to the taxpayers, give back to the community um, that, you know, helped you get this uh, opportunity mm. and then after four years do what you want hopefully you enjoy enough that you're going to want to stay here in new yeah. york and be, become part of our community you know not just be in a city maybe you'll even go up and go you know, take your talents up to an albany up to a buffalo up to a plattsburgh whatever have you that's all that we're asking and they say like if you join the military that's fine you know you can go join the military when you come back then you can go do it or you can go get um you know your masters or whatever somewhere else that's fine, but then you have to come back here. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to come back here. We're saying if you want that free tuition, you just have to give us right. four years. That's all we're asking. And people being up in arms about this, that they're just not – we're not just handing this over. Well, and my favorite part too, and I said this before, is we're not talking about North Dakota or Wyoming where it's like, all right, you know, what are the real opportunities I have of staying in state? Yeah. Talking about New York. You have New York City, the big one of the biggest metropolises in the world. Then you have, you know, Albany's not too shabby, Syracuse, Buffalo, uh, Rochester, you know, pretty big cities that there's a lot going on. There there's there's a it's a diverse state where you can find a lot of different job opportunities yeah. across the state, whether you want to be in the city, in the suburbs, in the country. So really you're not limiting your options. Yeah. Suck it up, you're staying If in the you're state. staying with your Aunt Janine living in New York, but you're actually from, you know, Connecticut, Massachusetts, whatever, well, that means you're going to have to stay here. My tax dollars are going to go and help you get an education. And this isn't— Give back to the community. And this isn't a crazy notion. I know Stanford runs a scholarship program for, I believe, their MBA students where they offer a certain scholarship where um, you get a free MBA— uh, pay, you know, which is much more than a SUNY education, uh, but you just have to turn around. You have to work at a, I believe it's a city that's like less than 50,000. The whole reason is to get Stanford MBAs instead of them going straight to Silicon Valley or Los Angeles or New York to get them working in smaller communities and kind of giving back. And you have to serve your two or three or yeah. however many years it is. So this isn't, 
you know, this has been practiced before. It makes sense. You know, it's one hand washes the other. It's kind of like, you know, it's – I've always loved the idea of, you know, how you pay for it and everything like that becomes a, a much trickier uh, thing. But, you know, you go become a teacher. You get um, your degree in teaching. Okay, that's great. We'll pay for it. We'll pay a huge portion of it, of your education. But you're going to go for two years into – a district into a bad Low school income, district yeah. that of our choosing, mm-hmm. we're going to place you there. Do two years there. Go ahead, do whatever you want from there. Now there are people that say we don't want that, you know, on our end because then our we have too many teacher rotation, whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a greater debate. But I've always loved that. But again, it's this idea that you deserve that you get things for free. No, we're not. And I'm not asking a huge right. If you can't come no, out we're of school, we're not in Siberia. Yeah, <laughs> it's New York. Find it's pretty nice. a job in New York. Like it's this going thing. to be very difficult. You know, it, it's yeah. you might want to go home to your family or something like that. That's great. You just gotta wait four years. That's the price it costs to have a free education. Well, sorry, here. you can be out of state and get this. Or you have to be in state to get this option. Well, no, think about somebody that you know that they're on or somebody like that lives oh, they, here, they, and then they're kind they of the, you, know, yeah, some, yeah. you know something like that. I think we that, know what they're cheating the system already. Cheating so. system. Uh, well, I think that's it. We went pretty long on this, but I think it was a lot of good discussion. Anthony, you got anything else to add? Uh, no events or anything like that. I think that our waters rankings are going to be starting somewhat soon. Submissions um, for submissions uh, uh, for that. So I think that's next week or the week after. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, definitely check in on the pot on the uh, the website, and we'll update next week on the podcast what the deal with that is. But uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, be sure to listen next Thursday.